Uh, we've been in this series uh, called Life on Mission. Uh, it's something we started in January, and maybe you're getting kind of tired of it. Don't worry, we're, we're going to wind this down, but we're not going to lose the heart of this, this teaching. It, it revolves around this idea, and maybe the simplest way I know to explain it is that God's great desire is to draw all humanity to himself. Do you believe that? Every single person, even the ones you don't like, God wants these people to be drawn to himself, but because of sin, all of us have strayed from God. All of us. Yet through the grace and blood of his son, Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice that we just celebrated, God has made a way for all of us to return to him. God has made a way for every single human on this planet to return to him. And this is the good news. It's good news because it's for everyone. It, this, is, this is the heart of the gospel, God's heartbeat, his number one desire. And scripture even says that this was his plan from the beginning. It was for all humanity to be drawn to himself. And we believe that his plan is our life mission. The life mission of every Christian to grow followers of Jesus Christ, to make disciples. And this is where we're going as a church. This is the vision that God has placed before us. This is the path that, that we're on more and more and more. And as we've gone deeper into this, as we've, as we've put this mission into, frankly, we've, we've set it in your laps every single week. Not in somebody else's lab. Not in, this is not a job for elders or theologians or scholars like Rick, which was well done. Nice. Trajan and Josephus and all that stuff. No, but this is a job for all of us, for every single one who calls themselves Christian. And so as we've been digging deeper into this life on mission and what this is about, lots and lots of questions have come up. And we've discovered a need for more conversation, that it's not enough for me to just teach, it's not enough just to give a sermon, but we need to have conversation. And so today I want us to do that again, and, and we've done this for every week of our teaching. I'm just going to give you five minutes, and I'm going to put a question on the board related to this life on mission, related to uh, whether you call it discipleship, evangelism, witnessing, sharing your faith, whatever it is. And I want you to just turn to those around you, turn your chairs around if you need to, that's fine. I want you to spend five minutes with those around you answering this question. Have you grown as a follower of, oh, horrible typo. Um, have you grown as a follower of Jesus Christ this week, month, or year? That's not so, that's, that's Latin or something, I don't know. Um, yeah, <laughs> have you grown as a follower of Jesus Christ this week? Think about it. Have you grown as a follower of Jesus Christ this week? week. And if not this week, then how about this month? And if not this month, then how about this year? And if you have grown, I want to know how. So talk about that in your group. And if you haven't grown, then the big question is very obviously, why not? Can you do this? Everyone know what you're supposed to do? Five minutes, turn to those around you, have a discussion. Have you grown as a follower of Jesus Christ? This week, this month, this year, how have you done it? And if you haven't, why not? What's your excuse? All right, I'm setting the timer on your mark. Make sure no one gets left out on your mark. All right, as we come back together, how'd you do? 
How many of you were hoping for a different question this week? <laughs> You're going to put this on your to-do list. I want to start today by just, uh, just asking, uh, have any of you learned anything new lately? Um, or, or maybe a better question is, what was the last thing you learned uh, have uh, I know I know we have some senior adults in here. Have you did you learn something new about how to use one of these? No, no. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, uh, or or to use that that computer on your on your uh, on your desk. Uh, have you learned how to? Uh, uh, are any of you taking any lessons like learning to to play an instrument, or uh, or maybe even vocal lessons, or maybe uh, have any of you learned a new cooking technique or or tried a new style of food or a new style of cooking this week or or uh, what a, what about a craft uh, like a like like woodworking or origami or I, I don't know what else I can think of um uh, painting or or art or or dance um what about a physical discipline have you learned uh, uh, about uh, I know we've got some athletes in here about how to do how to train and do long distance running or uh, learned a, a new yoga pose or kickboxing. Uh, have you have you have you learned anything new? Um, when was the last time you took a lesson? When was the last time you took a class? Just because you simply wanted to learn something new. Uh, last year, I know this is very manly. Last year, I got a sewing machine, <laughs> um, and uh, I confidently told my mom, who has been sewing her entire life, that I could have this down in no time. Um, like six months later, I now know what a bobbin is, and I can successfully thread my machine. Uh, past that, I haven't, I haven't developed much skill in, in, in this yet. Um, how are you at, at learning new things? How good are you at personal growth? How willing, maybe is a better question, how willing are you to grow, to change? In Luke, in the, in the 14th chapter, Jesus tells a couple of stories. Um, and I'll tell you the context in just a second, but Jesus tells two stories, a, a story about construction and a story about war. Uh, and both have the same point, so see if you can guess what it is in just a second. So, he tells this one story, he says, what king would go into a fight, what king would go into a battle without first setting down with his counselors, with, without first setting down with his, his generals and his military leaders to discuss whether or not his army of 10,000 can defeat an army of 20,000? Who would go into a battle without first looking to see if they could win or if they, know, if they know they can't win, to see at least if there's a chance to make peace. So he tells a story about battle, but he also tells a story about construction. And Jesus in Luke 14 says, what contractor would begin construction of a building without first doing a detailed bid to make sure there is enough money to finish the job? Look what it says in verse 29 related to this story. Otherwise... He or you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would, what are the next three words? 
yeah, if you go build only a foundation, I'm going to build this great new whatever, but I only built a, has this happened to some of you? I hope not. Uh, so, um, so if this happens to you, people are going to laugh at you. And they're going to say, there's the person who started the building and couldn't afford to finish it. And Jesus uses these two stories to, to illustrate a point. What kind of king would fight a war he knows he can't win? What kind of, of builder would start a project he knows he can't finish? What kind of disciple would commit his whole life to something without first counting the cost? Look at the few, few verses right in front of this. It says, a large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, how, who wants to be a disciple of Jesus? Let's get a show of hands. All right, if you want to be my disciple, Jesus says, you must hate everyone else by comparison. And when he says everyone, here's what I mean. I mean you must hate your father and your mother, your wife and your children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own, what are those next two words? On life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin. Don't begin what? This followershipness. But don't begin until you count the cost, like a contractor or a king going into battle. And you see the scandal of the church, the scandal of the maybe the North American church is, and I don't know if you guys know this, but every time they poll the U.S. population, it, it pretty much consistently comes up that 70 to uh, 80 percent of US, the U.S. population claims, consistently claims to be Christian. Do you know that? So roughly seven or eight out of ten people claim in North America to be Christian. But with divorce rates within the church exactly the same as outside of the church, how many of that 70 to 80% have really counted the cost? And when there is little or no distinction between a person of faith and a person without how many of that 70 to 80% have laid a foundation but nothing else? You see, the scandal in the North American church is that 75 or 80% of people claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ without ever counting the true cost, much less taking the fateful step to actually pay it. Now, actually, I, I don't believe that Jesus really believes that you should hate your father and mother, brother and sister, that kind of stuff. But what I think he means is in terms of cost, that your devotion to Christ, your devotion to being a follower of Jesus Christ, it will be so intense. It will be so costly. It'll be so valuable to you that everything else, by comparison, will seem as hatred. It is about being all in. And I, I know this is a scandal for us. 
But it's not a new problem, and it's not a problem that even the North American church has faced. Look what the author of Hebrews writes. In Hebrews chapter 5, he, uh, the author um, says, There is much more we would like to say about this. He, he's teaching about Jesus becoming the new high priest. He's getting into this technical, theological explanation related to Judaism. And the author says, there's a lot more I'd like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you, the audience, are, what are those next two words? Spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. That's one way to win an audience, right? I'd like to explain this to you, but, but frankly, you are just too sluggish, negligent, or lazy to even understand it. So why would the author be so frustrated to, to call his audience spiritually dull? What, what would prompt this? Look what, he's, look what it says in verse 12, in the very next verse. It says, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be what? Like you've been in this. You've been living under this umbrella as a follower of Christ for a long time. This isn't your first day. For so long now that you ought to be teaching others. But instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You've been living under this Christian umbrella this whole time, but you still need someone else to teach you the basics. He says with four words, he says, you are like babies. You need milk. You can't even stomach solid food yet. And some of you are wondering, did he just call me a baby? Yeah, that's it's scripture. It's not a compliment. Look what it says in verses 13 and 14 as he continues. It says, For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't even know how to do what's right. Solid food is for those who are, what's the word? Mature. Who, through training, have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. If you fast forward a little bit in, in Hebrews, in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let's move from being babies. Let's graduate from the nursery. Let's at least move into preschool or elementary school. Let's, let's move forward. Let's grow. Let's learn some new stuff. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. So when I was growing up, I played basketball a ton. I had a, my favorite coach was a, this, this awesome uh, a black guy. His name was Coach Roach. That was really his name. His last name was Roach. I don't know, unfortunate. Um, but Coach Roach was uh, this awesome basketball coach that, that we had. And um, he, he was awesome not because he took it easy on us, but uh, he was also he was the most difficult coach that I ever had. Uh, because he understood his job. His job as a coach wasn't to baby us um, or, or to somehow keep us from difficulty or strain. But he understood his job. I remember that at the beginning of every practice, we would sit in center court and he had a pyramid that he had drawn out and he had God at the top. And then we listed our priorities in life. 
and basketball came, I don't know, it, was, it wasn't near the top, but it was kind of down there. And he, every week we talked about how God has to come first. And even as a teenage boy, I remember him, uh, and it was just rec league. It wasn't a Christian league or anything. But he said, I want to pray for you. I want to pray where are you at in your faith. And so he pressed us. He pushed us, but not just in, in faith, but, but in our skills too. Because if I was lazy doing a layup or if I was just kind of sitting around not paying attention, I'd run laps. And I ran laps, people. I'm just here to tell you. Because he would not put up with it. Because his job was to challenge us. His job was to exert us. To, to, to train us, to, to put us through more pain than we would have ever willingly put ourselves through. His job was to make us run suicides. You know what a suicide is? It's a good way to vomit. That's what a suicide is. And his job was to make us run suicides. And the difference between a good coach and a bad coach is uh, it's is that he did these things not, not to break us down, but to mature us, to grow us as athletes, to grow us, to train us, to mature us as a team. I love the story of uh, William Williman, one of my idols, this, uh, this incredible pastor in the Methodist church. He tells this story of after a uh, after delivering his teaching, his sermon, one Sunday morning, he's standing outside shaking hands as everyone's leaving. And as people are going out, a, a woman stops him and, and shakes his hand and she looks in his eyes and she says, I know that you would not intentionally hurt anyone with what you say from the pulpit, but I was hurt by what you said today in your sermon. And Williman writes, uh, he, he just documents his thoughts. He says, and I thought, where you would have gotten the notion that I would not want to hurt you? He said, I'm a preacher. Some infliction of pain comes with the job. And it has to do with this idea of growth, this idea of training. And growth is an intrusion into our settled Christian couch potato way of life. Jesus says, I am calling you to grow. I'm calling you to count the cost. And growth requires effort. It requires sacrifice. It requires pain. Uh, that's one of the reasons we call it spiritual disciplines. And I'm afraid that far too Christians are still walking around like babies. That they haven't become um, self-feeders. If you're relying on Aspen Grove, if you're relying on Sunday mornings or just this teaching or just this worship time, to sustain you or to sustain your faith or to grow you in your faith just this one moment during throughout the week, then it's ridiculous. What, what would happen if you ate only one meal a week? You might survive, but you're not going to grow. And some of you look at Sunday mornings that same way. Well, I went to church on Sunday, and you're, you're living this very meager 
you know, feeding time to feeding time existence instead of grasping on to this idea of maturity and growth. Aspen Grove Christian Church in, in our, uh, uh, I don't know if it's a mission statement or purpose statement or I don't even know. I just say the reason we exist as a church, and go ahead and put that up on the screen, Rob. I think I put that slide in there. Aspen Grove Christian Church exists to, what's that word? Truthfully, Aspen Grove Christian Church exists to make followers of Jesus Christ, but not to just make followers of Jesus Christ, but to grow followers of Jesus Christ. And here's where the North American church has gone way too wrong, because we're way too heavy on the conversion side of things. We want everyone to be converted. We want everyone to be baptized. We want everyone to become a Christian. And once you become a Christian, we abandon these new converts, right? And just assume that a once a week feeding will be enough for them to grow when the reality is the exact opposite. We convert people into something that they don't even know the cost. They haven't even considered the price or the sacrifice that's involved. And so that's the reason we use the word grow. Aspen Grove Christian Church exists to grow followers of Jesus Christ. That means I'm not content for you to stay where you're at. That means a question of how did you grow as a follower of Christ this week is an important question for us. Because I'm not content with you to stay exactly where you are. I'm not content with you to stay in the nursery indefinitely. I'm not content for you to stay where you're at spiritually. And so, yes, sometimes the teaching might hurt, but it's, it is because I love you. We are committed to winning the fight. Remember the example of the king trying to figure out if this is a battle worth taking. We're committed to helping you win the battle. We're committed to more than just a foundation. And some of you have been living on a slab of bare concrete for far too long. But we're committed to maturity, to solid food, to training, to not only counting the cost, but paying the price. And so I challenge you and encourage you to invest deeply in the spiritual discipline. Sunday morning is never going to be enough. I challenge you to open God's word every single day, to pray more than just when you're about to eat. I challenge you to build relationships with others who are going to challenge, maybe even coach, maybe even mentor you. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week because I don't think this is actually something you can do on your own. But I challenge you to also engage in worship outside of a Sunday morning. If this is the first time you sang songs to praise God this week, it's going to feel a little uncomfortable. Why? Because you had seven days of getting out of practice. And it's hard to just jar you to come back into a place of worship, of realizing that God is, is not somewhere else, but is right here in our very presence. And so it takes practice training, discipline, if we're going to grow. And maybe the biggest thing that I can encourage you to get involved in is with a small group. This is where the rubber meets the road as we challenge each other, as we lift each other up. As last week uh, in our small groups, we talked about our stories. What's your story? What story do you have to bring? And it was incredibly powerful. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, it uses this language. It says, instead of other things, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Read those words in yellow. Growing in every way more and more like Christ. This is our goal for you And if you're going to accept this life on mission, then it means you're going to have to learn some new stuff. It means you're going to have to dedicate yourself to training. It means you're going to have to find ways to grow. Because ultimately, we reproduce what we are. And if your faith if your followership, if your discipleship, uh, if your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ is immature, what kind of disciple are you going to be able to reproduce? The true test of maturity of growth as a follower of Christ is that you reproduce what you are. And making disciples of Jesus Christ who make disciples of Jesus Christ is our life mission. So I'm going to ask David and uh, Philip to come back up here. In just a second, we're going to sing another song. And as they're coming up, I want to share with you, um, really today I want to end with just a challenge. Um, Easter Sunday, Easter is 28 days from today. 20, exactly four weeks from this moment. And, and traditionally, the, the period of time in the church uh, leading up to Easter, ha, the, this period of time leading up to the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has been a season of, of preparation for the resurrected Christ, a, a season where we commit to, to paying the price. Uh, the, it's a season we call, uh, the, our, the liturgical church calls it Lent, but it's just a, a, a a season of the church calendar where Christians um, commit to fasting, commit to prayer, commit to charity, commit to training and maturity. Maybe you've gotten sluggish in your relationship with God. Maybe you've become spiritually dull. And Lent is supposed to be this jarring season that, that shakes you back into that place of growth, back into that place of training, of, of maturity, where you plug back in to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. A season, season where you commit to growth as a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and so, in light of the season of Lent that we're in right now, and in, in light of the fact that uh, Easter is 28 days away, and in light of our life mission, my challenge is for you to read the story of Jesus again. In the Bible, we have four books that tell us the story of Jesus that, that track his, his life. And, and so... My challenge for you over the next 28 days is to read at least one of those stories. You understand? So in the next 28 days, as we prepare for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we seek to become followers of Jesus Christ, maybe the best way for us to do that is to learn how he lived. And so essentially, uh, think roughly a chapter a day is really what I'm asking And this is about moving from milk to solid food. So I'm going to challenge you to read at least a chapter a day of a gospel. If you want to start in the book of Matthew or the gospel of Matthew, 
Matthew is exactly 28 chapters long. So if you start reading one chapter of Matthew today, you're going to end with some incredible words of Jesus on Easter Sunday, his very last words at the very end of Matthew in 28 days. Now the other three, uh, uh, Mark is about 16 chapters long, so you could almost read that one twice. Luke is 24, John is 21 chapters. Whichever one you choose, I challenge you to roughly read a chapter a day, and I, I challenge you to read one story of Jesus, one of the Gospels of Jesus, um, between now and Easter. Spread them out. If you want to be, uh, be really bold and, and uh, move from a, a formula to, to just a big fat steak, you can read all four Gospels. That's, that's, it's going to be really challenging. That's about three chapters a day, a little bit more, between now and Easter over the next 28 days. But I want everyone to commit to at least one chapter of a Gospel uh, between now and Easter. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make, make your commitment right now. So I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Who's going to read Matthew over the next 28 days? So just raise your hands. Who's going to commit to read Matthew? At least Matthew. Who's going to commit to reading Mark? At least Mark over the next 16 chapters. All right, we've got a couple hands. Wow, Mark's pretty unpopular. Um, don't know what <laughs> the shortest one. Uh, yeah. Um, who's going to commit to reading Luke over the next 28 days? Who, we got some more hands. All right, and uh, what about John? My favorite, Seven Signs and John. All right, read John also, good. All right, uh, who didn't raise your hand? Just kidding, that was a trick. You can do this. I challenge you, at least a chapter a day, and let's move as a church into growth. Let's move as a church into a place of maturity. And I'll tell you this, this truth too, this life on mission, this idea of discipleship. Your faith will never grow more than when you begin to share it with others. And some of you know plenty about Jesus and his life. You just haven't taken that step of sharing it. And that will be the place that your faith comes alive, where you need scripture like you've never needed it before, where you begin to pray like you never prayed before. And so I invite you to step into this Life on mission, as Ephesians 4 says, to grow in every way more and more like Christ. Are you with me? I, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Are you with me? Yeah. Will you stand as we sing one final song today?